All right, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is a Monday mailbag where I will be answering your listener questions as well as giving you my thoughts on the surprising results of Super Bowl 55. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com. RIP. Still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is a Monday mailbag episode in which I will be giving you my answers to your questions we're talking about a variety of topics, including what did we learn from this year's Super Bowl, at least what the Falcons can learn from this year's Super Bowl. We'll talk about why Kwaji Olison lost snaps, whether Todd Gurley is a candidate to be re-signed, some pass rushers the Falcons should consider in free agency, why I continue to keep covering this team despite the frustration over the years. Was Chase Young a deserving defensive MVP, uh, rookie of the year candidate, and sort of you know, where I fall on the Rashawn Slater versus Penny Sewell. And I'll basically give you an outline of sort of my mock off season and sort of where I think the Falcons should do in order to build that sustainable success that owner Arthur Blank is, is, is talking about. And we'll get into that towards the end of today's episode, but without further ado, let's talk about Super Bowl 55 and, you know, Mark, at Mark W underscore E zero one asked a very topical question. Hey, locked on Falcons. It's a copycat league. What should the Falcons be trying to learn from this year's Super Bowl teams? So first off, I will say Mark that I think there is a tendency. I think it's kind of overrated to look at the Super Bowl teams like, Oh, this team did it this way. And I think people tend to overrate that stuff. And they say like, Oh, well, you know, Tampa Bay won this way. And so therefore everybody needs to be like Tampa Bay or Kansas city won this way. And everybody needs to be like Kansas city or the Patriots did it this way. You got to be the Patriots. The Eagles did it this way. You got to be, the, you know, and so the copycat nature of this league, I think is too strong. Uh, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat to continue to metaphor. But that being said, you know, I think the lesson generally is just be good. Right. I, I know that's a vague sort of uh, take, but like the bucks were a very talented team, you know, High-level quarterback play, top group of weapons, top quality offensive line, top five defense, you know, young secondary veteran front seven. I think they built a, a really good team that, from a talent standpoint, were as good a team in the NFL. They got good coaching, but it wasn't like they were the best coach team in the NFL this year. It wasn't like their coaching staff was cutting edge compared to, say, the Brandon Staley's or the Sean McVay's or, or the Andy Reid's or whatever the case may be. They were just solid coaching with a really talented team, and they were able to take advantage of that. And, you know, that's what you're kind of shooting for. For example, they're sort of cutting edge lack of cutting edge. And it's like, they weren't using play action. They were one of the teams near the bottom of the league in terms of their uses of play action. When that's been sort of a, a thing that's been on the rise in recent years, they weren't necessarily a team that made took advantage of a, a high usage of motion, uh, pre-snap and whatnot. 
And we saw what the Saints were able to do to them twice this past year and dismantle that defense. So it's not as if like, oh, they were just so well schemed. You know, several teams were able to pick apart that defense to a certain degree. So it's just one of those things where like, you know, they they played really well down the stretch, finished really strong, and were able to carry that through into this last game. And I think one of the things that you're you're going to constantly hear, I wasn't, I didn't spend too much time on Twitter during the game, but I'm sure I'll see quite a few more takes of this over the course of the next couple of days. Is you're probably going to hear a lot of people saying like, well, if Tom Brady can do it, then the Falcons can do it with Matt Ryan in terms of an older quarterback and winning that way. And I just sort of roll my eyes at that because I just feel like the old joke I've said is like, oh, you can do X, Y, and Z. But the exception to that is the Patriots, right? And, like, that's because of Bill Belichick. That's because of Tom Brady. And, like, I think Brady continues to prove that he's the exception to the rule. And I think if your plan is to basically we're going to build a team, you know, around Matt Ryan similar to what Tom Brady was in, like, I just think don't think that's a good plan because Tom Brady is the exception to the rule. It's a bad plan, so to speak. So um, I'm not necessarily going to spend too much time arguing the point over – whether Matt Ryan and Tom Brady are on comparable levels. Cause I just think that's just abundantly clear that Tom Brady's on a different level than Matt Ryan is, you know, it's like to me comparing Brent Grimes and Deion Sanders, like Brent Grimes was really good, but he's not Deion Sanders, you know? And like that to me is the difference between uh, Matt Ryan and Tom Brady. Um, and I know, you know, people will scoff at that comparison, but like for me talking about Tom Brady to turn the page away from Matt Ryan for a second, I remember the moment where I was like, this dude is different. And I remember early in Tom Brady's career, you know, the Patriots success early on. I was just like, yeah, he's kind of overrated. He's kind of a game manager. It's a dink and dunk offense, you know, like they win because of their defense and all that sort of thing. Tom Brady was a good quarterback back then, but like he was, they were talking about him. Like he's the greatest thing ever. And I was just like, he's not that good. And I remember the game that turned it for me. And it was, it was a game against the Falcons. It was 05. I was down in the Georgia dome that day. Uh, and you know, Vic was hurt and, and shop started that game. And I just remember watching Tom Brady live in the stadium, just pick apart that Falcons defense. And I was like, yeah, th- this dude is different. You know, like that's the game. And like he, he started to turn things around in 04 and like that game cemented it to me. Like, Oh yeah. Like all the hype that people give this dude is definitely deserving. And, like, I, I know I'm supposed to hate Tom Brady because, he, you know, he plays for the Bucs, a division rival. He's a Trump supporter. You know, he, he uses too much Botox. He's a Bond villain. You know, he French kisses his son on the mouth. He, he beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Look, there are, there are a ton of reasons why I'm supposed to hate Tom Brady as a human being, and, and some of those I just mentioned. But, like, he's a really good quarterback. You cannot take that away from him. He's a, a really good quarterback. And so, for me, it's one of those things where – as the game, as sort of talking about the game itself, you know, I thought the Bucks going into this game, I thought the Bucks had a better chance than probably a lot of people thought because of the injuries to the Chiefs offensive line. And I feel like, you know, the Chiefs are able to get away for the most part over these last couple of years with an average offensive line because of Mahomes' mobility and his ability to create plays off structure. And so he can just sort of make that offensive line look way better than it actually is. And I think this year the injuries kind of caught up with them, uh, certainly in this game. 
And I think, you know, part of the reason why Mahomes has not been as good this year as he has been the previous two years is, I think, because of all the injuries on the offensive line and it led to him being a little bit more erratic. Um, and I thought that was reflected in, in the Chiefs' struggles against the Falcons in that Week 16 game because I just thought Mahomes was off his game in that game. And that was a big reason why the Chiefs struggled in that game. Um, and so, like, to me, I guess my big takeaway from this game is, like, hey, man, you know, that offensive line is important. And this is not simply because I'm petty, although it's part of it. But I, I've gotten into some recent Twitter debates with with some folks over the last month about, you know, the value of wide receiver versus offensive line. Shout out to Vienna Falcons. Shout out to, I think his name is Riley. Um, and, you know, I've been on the camp of like, hey, wide receivers are overvalued and you need to invest in your offensive line. And, you know, I will just say after watching this game, score one for the offensive line uh, side of that debate. But, you know, for me, I guess if, if the Falcons are going to try to make it work with Matt Ryan over the next couple of years, I think you got to invest in your offensive line. Uh, you know, I think for young quarterbacks and old quarterbacks, offensive line play is much more meaningful uh, for those guys than necessarily guys that are in the primes of their career. Uh, like w- where I think wide receiver play probably matters a little bit more. Um, you know, and I think the reason for that is, you know, Matt Ryan's taken a lot of hits over the last 13 years. And a lot of these quarterbacks, as they get older, have taken a lot of hits over the last couple of years. And it's no different than a boxer or a fighter where you, you can just only take your body's only, do, you know, able to take so many shots. You're only able to take so much, you know, in the case of a fighter, uh, head trauma before you, you just body's not going to be able to, to do it. And you're going to start flinching when someone punches you or you're not going to flinch. And, and that's going to be even a bigger problem <laughs> where you're just going to just start, you know, looking like Rocky Balboa in the ring and whatnot um, and just be punched out. But like your body's going to start to break down and your ability to handle pressure is going to start to break down. And I've talked about this in terms of being, quote unquote, allergic to pressure. And Brady's one of those guys that's allergic to pressure, but fortunately for him in Tampa Bay this year, in the recent years in in new England, he's always played behind a really good offensive line that has made that not be a major, major issue. We saw that, you know, back in 2015 with the Broncos, uh, beating the breaks off of the, the Patriots in that playoff game, largely due to, you know, Von Miller and guys just absolutely dominating that game. So, you know, you look at the situation in Atlanta and you apply the, that lesson to Atlanta. And like one of the things I've talked about the last two years with Matt Ryan and one of the reasons I is an indicator that maybe Matt Ryan is on the decline is the notion that he has gotten worse with handling pressure. So if you're going to make it work with Matt Ryan, I do really do think investing in the offensive line is very important for this team. And so for me, when I look at this draft and I say, look, you know, if you're not going to take a quarterback at four, you're not going to trade down and get a future first round pick as part of that trade down as your plan B, then to me, plan C in terms of what you're going to do at the top of the draft is probably taking an offensive lineman in my mind. But uh, we'll get further into that conversation over whether the Falcons should invest in their offensive line and free agency or the draft later on today's episode as we continue today's Monday mailbag episode. The last thing I want to say before we move on is congratulations to Bruce Arians. As anybody who's been a regular listener of this podcast for you know five, six years knows that I'm a huge fan of, of B.A. as a human being, uh, even if I don't necessarily respect Tom Brady as a human being, I definitely respect Bruce Arians as a human being. And I'm, I'm happy to see him finally get the, the Super Bowl win that he in Tampa Bay uh, that he did not get in Arizona or in previous stops uh, as a head coach. So uh, congratulations to him. But with that being said, we're going to continue today's Locked on Falcons podcast. And, 
you know, the NFL season is over, but that doesn't mean betting season is over. You got Daytona 500 next weekend, the NBA, NHL, college basketball still going strong. And there's one place that has you covered, one place I trust. That's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. And as I said, NASCAR, NBA, NHL, NCAA seasons are still going strong. You can literally bet on anything at betonline.ag. You can bet on how many hot dogs Joey Chestnut is going to eat this summer. You can bet on whether Joe Biden finishes his first term as president if you still have that football itch you still got the draft to bet on so don't sit on the sidelines anymore don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts so we've talked about the super bowl but get more thoughts on the super bowl as well as other sports news from around the, the various sports in under 20 minutes by checking out the locked on today podcast your daily podcast hosted by peter bukowski breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from all the various local experts on the locked on podcast network subscribe to locked on today wherever you get your podcast so our first question comes from aj mccary he asked i should have asked this earlier this week why was quadri olson in witness protection the whole season mostly because his skill set and Gurley's skill set largely overlap because of the power element you know being that sort of power runner and Gurley's going to give you more in the passing game than Olsen is at this point in time. So there's no real reason to d- double down on, on the power element in your offense. And because the Falcons were also able to adequately replace Olsen's contributions on special teams with a guy like Jacob Tuivenman. That's the short answer. Uh, CD3224 asks, is Ty Gurley a candidate for resigning? Yes, he is technically a candidate to resign. The Falcons could sign you know, I think the Falcons should sign a veteran running back. We'll get into that more later on today's episode when I go through my sort of uh, off-season outline uh, for path to success, if you want to say. Uh, so Todd Gurley is technically on the list, but he's probably near the bottom of the list. So I think it's very unlikely that the Falcons will re-sign Todd Gurley, but technically he is a candidate. Hashir Amir asks, who are some pass rushers that the Falcons should consider in free agency that would fit team P scheme. I'll give you sort of three levels of cost to pass rushers. The first level is veteran minimum guy, Barkevious Mingo. He can come in and compete with Michael Walker for one of those edge spots, be a backup, uh, potentially be a low level starter for the Falcons play for the new Falcons offensive linebackers coach, Ted Monacino in both Indianapolis and Chicago has mostly been a backup, but has been able to extend his career since sort of being a first round bust for the Browns by the value he's brought as a reserve and on special teams can cover, can play the run. It's not going to be a, a difference maker as a pass rusher, but can give you a little bit of value there, you know, comparable to say what Charles Harris, maybe a little bit more than what Charles Harris gave you this past year, as far as a pass rusher goes. Number two level, that mid level quality, you know, signing Terrell Basham, you're probably looking at a contract in the six to $7 million a year range. Uh, he played for Montecino in Indianapolis played this past year. These past two years with Frank Bush with the jets. Uh, he's not necessarily going to be a big sack guy. He has seven and a half sacks across four years in the NFL, but he's, he can get pressure. He's probably going to give you like four to six sacks, 30 to 40 pressures. Essentially his, his pressure numbers are comparable to what Dante Fowler's pressure numbers were until last year. And the, the, that one breakout year he had in, uh, with the Rams, but like across the, the rest of his career, like his 
Basham and Fowler's pressure numbers are very similar. Just Fowler gets more sacks, uh, you know, because Basham's more of a power rusher than necessarily a true speed guy. Uh, so he doesn't necessarily finish plays to the same degree that Fowler does. But the idea behind signing a guy like Basham is that you're getting comparable value, not necessarily maybe in sack production, but comparable value in terms of being able to provide pressure the quarterback for, you know, half the price that you're paying for Fowler. The highest level, the third level, is someone like a Carl Lawson. And, you know, his price tag could be anywhere probably between like 12 and $17 million a year. It's hard to know this offseason given, you know, how much the salary cap deflation is going to affect people's ability to negotiate. But you could essentially say that Carl Lawson is much more deserving of the money that we paid Dante Fowler a year ago because he's a significantly more polished and well-rounded pass rusher. Um, You know, Lawson could step in and sort of be Dean Pease's version of Terrell Suggs, which is a guy that's going to be that every down pass rusher and and be the guy that's capable of of getting you 60 plus pressures a year in double digit sacks year in and year out. The main concern with Carl Lawson is going to be his injury history. He's missed time in two out of the last three years in Cincinnati. He also dealt with some injuries during his time at Auburn. So you're a little bit concerned. The one big concern about paying Carl Lawson, particularly if you're going to wind up guaranteeing him like $30 million or more is, you know, is he going to be a guy that you can trust to play 16 games? And if you're going to pay that type of money to him, you know, you're, you're going to want to be able to get like, you know, three or four, if not more years of solid production from him. He's capable of doing it. You just wonder if the durability will hold up. And for those of you that don't know, at this point, I'm kind of assuming uh, that Dante Fowler is going to be a post-June 1 cut, so I do not think Dante Fowler is going to be on the Falcons in 2021, but we'll see if that changes over the next five weeks. Uh, A to the B at Tree X Village X asks, what is keeping you going and covering this team solely the money? Much love, Aaron. Uh, you know, money is a big part of it. I've tried to be a little bit more professional in my approach to covering this team, particularly in the last four years, now that I've sort of had to do this podcast on on the solo thing. Um, but the main thing is, like, I just try to stay even keeled. You know, I feel like most fans, depending on if the team wins or loses, goes from like a 10 to a 2 uh, on that sort of pendulum swing. And I just try to stay at a 5 or a 6 all the time, you know, and like the way I would explain this is like when the Falcons lose, for example, to most fans, it's like somebody's head's got to roll. And like 2015 to 2016, that was head was Kyle Shanahan and 2017, 2018 was Sark. 2019 was Dan Quinn. 2020 was Dirk Cutter. And probably in 2021 and beyond is going to be Matt Ryan. Right. And when the Falcons win, it's like, you know, people are in the mindset of like, I need to start planning my Super Bowl, you know, hotel reservations and whatnot. And that seems like an exaggeration, but it, it's not. It really isn't. Like people just seem to think like, oh, we won this week. We're going to win forever. We're going to run the table and we're going to the Super Bowl. And it's like that pendulum swing, that that wild emotional roller coaster, you know, the, that difference, the highs and the lows, the peaks and the valleys is just so crazy to me. Uh, you know, and like like for me, it's just like it's not that hard to cover the team. And as long as you just don't get on that roller coaster. And so like for me. You know, without sort of being sounding condescending when I say this, like the hardest part of the job is not covering the Falcons. The hardest part of the job is dealing with the fans. And that's not meant to bash the fans. It's just like having to go to deal with, you know, sitting in a room where everybody's either at a 10 or a 2 based off of the Falcons winning and losing is the hardest thing to deal with when you're just sitting there like chilling, like, you know, 
eating your pigs in a blanket or whatever the case may be. And just like, Oh, what's, why is everybody acting so crazy around here? Like, it's not that big a deal. Just, you know, enjoy the chicken wings again, um, food, you know, chicken wings and pigs in a blanket on my mind. Cause Super Bowl parties and whatnot, but like <laughs> I eat too much. Uh, but like, you know, too many jalapeno poppers. Uh, but anyway, like it's just one of those things, like it's not that hard. Like if you don't ride the emotional roller coaster, and I, I suspect a lot of the people listening to this podcast are, you know, part of the reason that you enjoy listening to this podcast is because you enjoy at least somebody not necessarily going to the extremes that other people will go to. So that that's the secret. Just try to relax, you know, chill out. And if you, if the Falcons get on your nerves and, you know, do whatever you can do to, you know, relax. Like I spend a lot of time thinking about the Falcons, but I've made it I devote like Saturdays are like are Falcons free. Like I, I don't want anything to do with the, the Falcons. I stay off of Twitter. I, I do all these things. So like I have gotten into the habits of doing certain things to basically, I have my free time. I have my podcast time. I have my Falcon time and that's it. And I compartmentalize. So that's, that helps. Mantis Toboggan MD at Sebastian's dad 19 asks, was Chase Young deserving of the NFL rookie defensive player of the year? I mean, you know, from the standpoint of who else was going to win it, like Antoine Winfield was probably the only other decent candidate. Um, so it's not a surprise that Chase Young won it. Um, you know, there just wasn't that many high impact rookies this year. You had a couple of guys that started off the season strong, but then kind of faded as the year went on. Guys like Jalen Johnson, guys like AJ Terrell, guys like, um, who's the other guy? Julian Blackman. Um, and, you know, typically DB's. It's harder for DBs to win it unless they get a lot of picks, I think, historically speaking. But uh, so, like, you know, Chase Young getting it is, like, no big deal to me because it's like, who's the other obvious candidate? I think Antoine Winfield was more deserving personally, but, you know, I know that opinion falls in deaf ears. And to be clear, like, I don't think Chase Young was bad this year. I just feel like he was like a six, you know, in terms of a a 10-point scale. And, like, people just constantly talk about him as being a 10. And what's baffling to me about Chase Young is like websites like Pro Football Focus. And this is not me bashing Pro Football Focus either, because, again, you know, when if I disagree with one of your opinions, that doesn't invalidate your other 99 opinions. Like for me with Pro Football Focus, there's like three player grades that I disagree with. Deion Jones, Michael Walker and Chase Young. And then, you know, they graded like 2000 people. So like. It's literally like 99.9% of their grades I'm fine with, but it's just a 0.1% that I'm going to harp on. So it doesn't, it's not bashing pro football focus. They do great work. But like for me in the past, like pro football, because I remember in 2016, like I was the guy that was like, Hey, you know, Vic Beasley is kind of overrated. And pro football focus was like the one place out there that was like, yeah, Vic Beasley is kind of overrated. Like he's kind of an outlier season uh, in terms of his sack production. And he's probably due for some regression. And to see sort of pro football focus go the opposite way with, with Chase Young. And again, it's not to sit here and be like, Chase Young's bad. But like when you look at his rookie season compared to other edge rushers that pro football focus has charted over the years and look at metrics that they have like pass rush productivity, Chase Young, you know, back over the last five to 10 years has been in below average season as a pass rusher uh, for a rookie edge rusher. And like the fact that I'm seeing blurs from pro football focus talking about how like chase young lived up to the hype this year. I'm like, what? Like, no, like my, my whole thing with chase young is I just think he's overhyped. People talk about him like he's a 10 and he's actually a six. Like to me, he's more that Jadavion Clowney type of player, which is a high impact run defender, but isn't really an impact pass rusher. But for some reason, like there's this narrative that chase young is this dominant, you know, guy that's constantly demanding you got double teams you got a game plan for like no he's not like he's he's a good player but he's not 
anywhere close to the amount of hype that he's gotten over the last nine months. It has not come anywhere close to living up to that, in my opinion. But for some reason, sites like Pro Football Focus, other people that are like offensive line, you know, deep pass rusher and analyst gurus, whatever, are have just been overhyping Chase Young for the last, the last three to six months. And I just I don't get it. I really don't. But that's where I sort of stand on Chase Young. So I will let that go. We will get more opportunities to talk about Chase Young on this podcast over the next couple of months because we get to play the Redskins this year. But uh, we will move on from that and wrap up today's podcast by giving you basically my offseason mock offseason. I don't, I don't know what you can call it. Basically what I would do if I was Terry Fontenot's shoes. So we'll get into that as we uh, continue today's podcast. But unlike Vic BC, you know, Chase Young is not lacking in terms of his core strength, which means he's definitely getting his protein. And while I may think Chase Young is overrated, uh, you know, other people may disagree with that, but there is one thing that I think we all can agree on. And that is that built bars are the best tasting protein bar out there on the market. They have great flavors like coconut almond and peanut butter. And because all built bars have 100% real chocolate in them, flavors like those taste just like a real candy bar, but you can get other flavors, caramel, brownie, salted caramel, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, cherry barcia, so much more. And built bars aren't just tasty. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. I like using them as low calorie meal replacement for breakfast and lunch. You can use them to give yourself a energy boost pre or post workout however you want just head over to builtbar.com use the promo code locked on and you'll get 20 percent off your next order that's promo code locked on for 20 percent off your next order at builtbar.com so as i said earlier i already gave you my general thoughts on the Super Bowl, but you guys can get the inside scoop from the rest of the Lockdown Podcast Network. They got you covered. You can get your Super Bowl recap from every single angle. After you listen to today's Lockdown Falcons, check out Lockdown Today for the biggest storylines, Peacock and Williamson for the X's and O's. Check out Lockdown Chiefs, Lockdown Bucks for the in-depth local expertise. Subscribe to all of them today, wherever you get your podcasts. So Mantis Toboggan has Sebastian's dad in 19S, Slater or Sewell? Would you use the Falcons pick for either one of those players? If you're the Falcons general manager, what is the most important free agent positions you are aiming for that you feel have a better shot at addressing than than in the draft? I would go more towards Sewell at this point, just because I think his ceiling is higher. And if I'm going to take a player with pick four, I'm probably going to swing for the fences. Um, you know, but you could probably make the argument that Slater has a higher floor. You know, as for your second question. You know, I'll just explain where my head is at from an offseason standpoint. This is kind of where my thought process is for this offseason and bleeding into next offseason. I haven't really studied this draft class, so I won't go as far as say, like, this is my ideal offseason. This is my dream scenario. But it is sort of like generally where my head is at. So, like, I would like to address what I think are the five biggest needs on the Falcons right now in free agency, which is running back, left guard, edge rusher, corner, and free safety. Ideally, you can get difference makers at all five spots, but I'm eyeing, you know, three of those spots for big money in free agency. I'm looking at Joe Tooney as a left guard. I'm looking at an edge rusher like Carl Lawson, as we mentioned earlier. Free safety, I want someone like a Marcus May or an Anthony Harris, assuming someone like Justin Fields does not make it to the market. And I can probably live with, like, stopgats at running back like a Chris Carson and a corner uh, like a Darquez Denard, someone like that to, to, to plug and play for a year or two uh, and, and, and buy me some time. 
And yes, I do think the Falcons should have the cap space to make that all come true. Uh, I think they'll just have to be creative with how they structure contracts, you know, sort of split signing and, and roster bonuses, backload deals, do those sort of things, maybe have guarantees bleeding into year four as opposed to stopping after year three, like most of those contracts typically have. Uh, and I feel like if you can solve those main issues, then you can basically, you know, afford to go best player available at the top of the draft. And for me, if I can solve most of those issues, like I feel like in the first four rounds, the chances are high that the Falcons are going to take a quarterback running back and strong safety, right? Where the fourth spot it, to me will kind of be dependent on if they get that left guard, if they get that edge rusher in free agency, if they do successfully solve those problems, or at least take a big chunk out of those problems in free agency, then I think that frees up that fourth spot to be used on a wide receiver. And now you're in a scenario where you can potentially use your first two picks on a quarterback and wide receiver in the draft. Let's say you're drafting Trey Lance, the North Dakota State uh, quarterback with the number four pick. And then at the top of round two, you get LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall to sort of be your Matt Ryan and Julio Jones replacements Um, and potentially now can have the flexibility to move on from both of those guys after the 2021 season, you can still probably get a solid running back in round three or four. You know, you're not likely to find a workhorse running back or a feature running back at that point in the draft, but you can get, you know, a, another Marlon Mack type of player who's a fourth round pick. uh, Assuming if you also were able to get a solid veteran running back in free agency, like a Chris Carson or somebody like that. Um, And then again, you know, I don't know if this is the draft class for it, but in theory, you can get a solid starting safety in rounds three or four, you know, guys like Eddie Jackson, Honey Badger, Kevin Bayard, Justin Simmons were all third or fourth round picks over the last, you know, five, six drafts. All of those guys have wound up going to the pro bowls. Um, So, you know, you can find capable, you know, those are, those guys are all like free safeties with Honey Badger being a strong safety, but you get, my drift like you can get a capable starting safety in round three or four if you wait uh at that point so to me that's the type of off season that i think personally will set up the falcons for that sustainable success that uh arthur blank is talking about having i wouldn't go so far again to say it's my dream scenario because there's still a lot of blanks to fill in with you know which players you would target with those players with those picks and in that money but to me, at least in my head, it checks most of the boxes that I'm trying to get checked this offseason because I want to find the long-term replacements for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones this offseason so that I can then freely move on from those guys after this upcoming season, pay Calvin Ridley and not feel like I'm spending too much money on my wide receiver position. Then I can double dip at the running back position. That gives me a solid ground game to build around you know, for the twilight of Matt Ryan's career as well as the start of – whoever the rookie is, Trey Lance in, in this scenario, his, the start of his career, I get that veteran offensive line that should help stabilize at least the left side of my offensive line through these final, you know, two or three years of Jake Matthews's career before I have to replace him, hopefully with a guy like Matt Gano uh, over long term. Uh, but we'll see about that. And uh, I get that veteran edge rusher that can come in and won't have to feel that we're wasting Grady Jarrett's prime by not having a reliable edge rusher playing opposite him. Um, And I don't want to wait three years for that draft pick that we would have to take high in the draft to develop, to be that type of pass rusher. Give me, give me Carl Lawson today who can give me 10 plus sacks uh, every year from here on out. I get that stop back at corner. That's at least going to buy me another year to figure out, okay, where's AJ Terrell in his development. And that will determine if my need at corner, that's likely going to be the case in 2022. Do I need to get a, 
number one corner? Do I need to get a number two corner depending on sort of where Terrell is at or whatever? Or maybe I just need to get a number three corner if Darquez Denard is the guy that you resign and comes back and plays well uh, next year. So uh, that's basically the goal with that. And then hopefully, you know, the the safety tandem, the big money free agent, the draft pick sort of stabilize that position for years to come. And then you probably go into 2022 looking at corner, looking at linebacker, looking at tight end being potentially your biggest needs going into that all season because you've been able to solve most of your major issues, right? Quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line, pass rush, um, you know, this offseason safety, this offseason. And so you can then you know, go to work with the positions that you kind of passed over this past off season. So that's kind of where my head is at. Again, I'm not necessarily saying like, this is exactly the plan that the Falcons should follow if they want to be successful. But like when I'm sitting here, any GM questions that you guys are going to ask me for the next five weeks between now and free agency, like that's going to, if you're asking me, what do you think, Aaron, what do you think the Falcons should do? Like that's to me, the plan that's in my head, but we'll see what the Falcons decide to do. As I have learned over the years, do not, put expectations on the Falcons to do the things that I want them to do. So we will try to be as fair minded as possible and say, look, if they zig when, you know, I want them to zag, you know, that can work out to going back to the original point I made at the top of the show is that there's no sort of exact blueprint to success in the NFL. And we'll just sort of see how it works out for the Falcons. But I hope that answers your question, uh, Matthew. And uh, that's where we're going to leave it on today's mailbag episode. I know that there were plenty more questions sent in over the weekend. And uh, I, you know, we have a lot of good guests coming on this week. We got like four more days of guests. And so there may be an opportunity on Friday to answer some of those questions, or maybe we can sprinkle in those questions, you know, here or there for the rest of the week. But tomorrow's episode, we're going to have Dave Choate of the Falcoholic and Dave's going to help kick things off and, and get us sort of geared up for this off season and what sort of the, the big challenges are for the Falcons heading into the off season. Now that the NFL season is officially over in terms of 2020. So that's what you can look forward to uh, on tomorrow's episode. If you are listening to today's episode and you're like, Hey, I want to send in the questions for the Falk Aaron's next uh, Q and a, which if not Friday, we'll probably do another Monday mailbag. So you have a week to send those in, but the sooner you get those in, the higher the probability that they'll be answered. Uh, and you can send those questions in via Twitter to locked on Falcons via Facebook at locked on Falcons, or you can send an email to locked on Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it guys. Until then.